The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I'm so glad you've joined us today. I'm talking with Reggie Carpenter for this hour. Reggie's a performance artist, author, and coach who tours nationally and internationally. Reggie's tales celebrate the glorious and gut-wrenching lives of four generations of carpenters raised on the St. Lawrence River in Clayton, New York. Her memoir, Where There's Smoke, There's Dinner, Stories of a Seared Childhood, will be published in September of 2016, this year. Welcome, Reggie. Hi, Cheryl. I I have to say just to start out that one of the really beautiful things about um having done this show long enough that uh you know the the news of it spreads is that I have delightful experiences like you sending me your TED talk um which was just you know beautiful 18 minutes of story about story so I really appreciate that you reached out that way well, thanks for reaching back, Cheryl. Of course, um, as in all of life, everything is about relationships. So I learned about you from my friend Elaine, Mans- uh, Elaine, who had been on your show. Yes, and, uh, Elaine Mansfield. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I knew yeah. that was her last name. I just suddenly went, is that her last name? And <laughs> I know when that happens. <laughs> doubting yourself for a minute. I only yeah. wanted to say her name so people could go listen to her interview because it's very special. Yeah, um, and she has a great TED Talk as well called Good Yes, Grief. Yes, yeah. which, which interestingly, we didn't know of each other at all when she gave that talk and I get, I've started my radio show with the mm-hmm. same title. So that's, that's a nice piece of synchronicity as well. I was well, I was really I was really well, especially oh go ahead. Well, I was going to say that the very first my very first exposure with stories and children, grieving children was on a day also called Good Grief, and um, I'd subsequently found out that there are Good Grief days for grieving children all over the country, um, held by hospices and other organizations, and so that was. So it's a it's a good phrase. It's it's one of those um, it's one of those phrases when you first you chuckle and then you go, oh, there's something more to that. You know, mm-hmm. there's more to That's that. interesting to know about the kids. I'm about to do a workshop in March. I'll I'll just put in a brief uh, little plug for what I'm doing. Yeah. We're doing a a work uh, an afternoon workshop for kids and their parents who've lost someone in their family to cancer. 
and I'll be doing the music portion of that day. So uh-huh. um, it's it's good to know it's a, it's a day of the arts. We're call, it's the art of remembrance is the name of the day. And mm-hmm. um, if people want to know more, they can get in touch with me. But um, knowing, you know, I, I can send on that um, that information too to the person who's organizing that because mm-hmm. the more the better in that regard. I think it's really mm-hmm. um, important work that you and other people are doing to help kids with grief. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of grieving children. And yes. families who are grieving, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. And something that did really stand out in your talk was uh, your own... So, you know, I, I want to talk about how you came to do more grief-related storytelling. Mm-hmm. But that moment when you had to decide, would you directly... Uh, talk with kids, tell grief stories to kids or not, I thought was very poignant and, and powerful. Can you talk some about how that all came to be? Oh, sure. Well, uh, you know, um, I think people who go into grief work um, do so because of their own grieving, and that was certainly true for me. Um, my brother, Tim was 55 when he was driving to work one day. Um, There had been a very bad snowstorm the night before, and up north in northern New York we have this stuff called black ice. And um, black ice is is ice that sits on the top of the asphalt that you can't see. Mm -hmm. And his his car hit some black ice and spun out of control, and he was hit by an oncoming truck and, and killed. And uh, right after that, um, and 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 I, I was with you know I I got the news I got that horrible phone call that so many people get which is you know come to the hospital um, we'll tell you when you get here and you just know that that's not going to end well and mm. um, my father told me and and um, they had artificially been keeping my brother alive, but we knew that wasn't something that he had wanted. And so my father and I made the decision to to take him off life support. And, um, yeah, and, you know, I've, I've gone on to write a story called I Love You, Will You Bury Me? And, um, you know, it was in that moment that I really understood that when you love someone... You um you might be the one who buries them, mm. and, uh, you know, and that love love is a contract and a commitment all the way to the end. Mm. So um, I was in a lot of grief over that, and um, you know I was raised to believe that if you're sad, helping somebody else will take you out of your sadness. So. I called up hospice care in Ithaca, where I live, and asked them if I could do something. But they had a, a rule that if you had suffered a loss in your own family, you couldn't directly be with grieving people for a year. And I, I think that was a wise rule. But they said, well, why don't you come up and tell stories um, at the Good Grief Day? And so I said, sure, sure, you know, I got no idea what I'm doing, but I'll give it a try. 
So I went up and <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> that was kind was of doing. at the heart of your your TED talk. I noticed. I don't know what I'm doing, oh, but I'll yeah. give it a try. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing, and and that's still holds true in most of my life. It's like I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just kind of giving it a whack. Um, so I went up there, and um, they were all piling into my tent, and I looked at them, and I. I was feeling uncomfortable because I wasn't sure what my role was, um, and and I really felt very uncomfortable even thinking about children grieving, thinking that there was a child who was sad, thinking that a child had suffered a parent's death. I I was emotionally unequipped to deal with that. I had never been exposed to that. And if I had been, I'm sure I would have walked the other way. Um, but I, I was in the tent, and I looked out at the kids, and I thought, okay, should I, should I tell them a story about grief? Should I, should I mention death? What should I do? But when I looked at them, they were all happy and smiling, and so I just avoided it because I didn't know what to do, so I just told them regular stories. And... Um, and while we had a great time, and I knew that I had brought joy to them, I also felt that I had been somewhat cowardly um, in, in my, I won't say my inability, but in my confusion mm-hmm. as to what, what are the power, what, it, what is the possibility for story in this moment? And... Then shortly thereafter, I got another call from the same hospice who asked me to come up and tell stories to grieving families. So this time it would be mothers and fathers and children who had lost either a parent or a child or a grandparent. And in, in this situation, grief is defined as death. I mean, we all know that there's grief over loss, Loss over things we've never had, loss over things right. we 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 um, we have lost. But in this, it's very much defined as death, and death is the end of the body. It's not sleep. It's when the body stops working and it never works again. Yes. And so, I I on my way up to the hospice that evening, I thought I'm going to take a chance. I'm just gonna tell a story, and I told one of my absolute favorite stories, Una Nana and the Elephant, where a mother's children are stolen from her by a one-tusked white elephant, and while her children don't die, they are taken from her, and um, whomever the elephant takes never returns. So... um, I told that story, and while I was telling the story, the most amazing thing happened, Cheryl. This hush fell over the room. This hush where we were all feeling and seeing and experiencing Una Nana's journey into the bush and down into the belly of the elephant where she gets her children back and returns home with them. And when I was going home, 
I knew, I just knew that something had happened and it was the stories. But I didn't know why or how, but I knew it was the stories. And then I got the third phone call and it was a hilarious phone call because um, I couldn't understand a word that the woman said except, would you go to a children's hospital and tell stories? (laughs) 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 So I was raised Catholic, and I thought, if I don't go to some hospital, man, I'm going to fry in hell. (laughs) So (laughs) So you you couldn't even decipher which hospital, just... (laughs) No, no, I couldn't. She said, my name is... (laughs) You know, my phone number is... (laughs) And, uh, you know, would you go to the... (laughs) hospital I couldn't so I just picked one I just picked a hospital and um, asked a woman if I could come and tell some stories I had no idea what I'm doing but I thought okay I better just follow the signs and um, it was when I got there that my work really 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 began that that experience was um, was an unforgettable heartbreaking beautiful um, kind of um, transcendent experience, you know, that so many of your guests have spoken about and that you have experienced as well. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, that you know, my, um, my youngest child was two and a half when my wife died. So I've thought a lot about children in grief, uh, both at that time and since. And what's very, what's very uh, interesting to me is Actually, there's a lot of story around children that involves loss. Uh, and, and I noticed it, especially after she died, that there wasn't, I couldn't even find a kid's movie where there were two parents. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, one parent ha- at least had died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many children, in, in, uh, in, many children were orphans. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it was almost not referred to, uh, notably exception, uh, I felt was, you know, the Lion King where it really was talked about that the, the father had died, mm-hmm. but often it was just kind of in the background and the child was on some kind of hero's journey. So, and yet at the same time, we have this prohibition, like we shouldn't talk to kids, we shouldn't. We shouldn't bring up the subject. It's a very interesting combination to me. Do you have any thoughts about that? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, and in fact, I think that it's so painful for us. You know, we are, we are in a pink cloud around childhood. You know, we are, as a culture, we are in a pink cloud around childhood. Oh, kids are so resilient, we say. And they are, because people are resilient. And, oh, they'll get over it. Oh, it's not as big a deal to them. Oh, this. Um, They'll be fine. Um, We don't want to acknowledge that children have an incredibly deep and rich and... uh, I can't even think of the words, but an incredibly... Um, strong understanding of what it means to love and lose. Mm. Absolutely. They, you know, um, Donald Davis was just a wonderful storyteller. He, He talks about children asking, to whom do I belong? 
to whom do I belong? Mm. And when a child loses a parent, a grandparent, a pet, the person to whom they belong, you know, a child's uh, psyche and emotional life is so fluid that when a person dies, they take that death, takes something from the child that they need, that as an adult, we can, we can seek that out. But children can't seek it out. And, and so they're often left to grieve alone. And we also misinterpret the, be- the, the, the um, cycle of grief for a child. Children don't grieve like adults grieve. Um, their grief may look like bad behavior. Uh, if they're teenagers, it might manifest itself in drug and alcohol abuse, uh, promiscuity, uh, truancy from school, um, bad grades. I mean, it, it, it doesn't always look like what we think grief looks like. Sure. And so we say, oh, they're just a bad kid. Oh, you know, oh, that kid. When it's not, it's unresolved grief. Unresolved grief. You know, and I, it, I, and and I would I would add, uh, having worked with a tremendous mum, number of adults who lost important people as children, mm-hmm. it's it's unspoken grief. Yes, um, that ki- people who lost someone as a kid, but it was an open discussion, mm-hmm. do not tend to have those same problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, you know, I, I'm not a statistically oriented person, but I know that, mm-hmm. that there, there has been some study about that, that it's really the unspoken, mm-hmm. uh, nature of grief for kids because then there, there's a problem, but no one is addressing it and they think mm-hmm. the problem is them in some way. Um, yeah. do you, do you find that too? Well, I find that to be true people of all ages. Yes. Know, that we yes. are. You know, it's really interesting, um, and I, I'd like to hear about your experience with your daughter and how she, how how you coped with, how you helped her cope with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if that's something that you would like to share. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, I had a 14-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Mm-hmm. So the way in which those two uh, children who are very different people and then at very different ages and cycles, obviously a lot of differences. The 14-year-old who had had a previous loss, I, I let her decide <laughs> everything. And, <laughs> she, and she decided to be a part of the whole works. Um, you know, sleep sleep in the bedroom with with my wife's body. Um, she just stuck to me like glue the whole time. And the two and a half year old went in and out of that. Um, she was very uh, uh, she was very present. She had some very very profound experiences, as if she was, you know, plugged into the source, as it were, during that time. Uh, and we're about to take a break, so uh, 
I'd be happy to share an example when we come back. I've talked okay. about it a bit on the show before. Um, mm-hmm. But we were very upfront with her. We knew my wife was going to die. She was sick for a long time, and we knew it was going to be soon. And we talked with her about, we borrowed a stethoscope, we listened to hearts. We talked very directly about what death was. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she was a, she's a very dramatic person. She's an adult now. She's in theater. Mm-hmm. And she was dramatic as a child, but she's <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, they're both mm-hmm. totally fine. I don't think there's any way that it was, um, it was painful, but I'm not sure I would say it was harmful. Yeah, right. Yeah, good distinction. So, so um, when we come back, what I'd really like, we can finish this up, and then I'd love to hear a story um, that that you've been telling to kids in grief, because I think that that might um, kind of uh, bring us into that experience kids have with loss and how a story can help with that. Great. Um, uh, so, listeners, you can find links to my website, social media, at the Good Grief page at Voice America to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, connect on LinkedIn, etc., etc., sign up for emails. Um, and you can also find Reggie Carpenter and her wonderful TED Talk at reggiecarpenter.com. Be back soon. your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness relationship issues anxious parenting challenges no more learn how to live your best life tune into straight talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. 
To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Reggie Carpenter about how loss deepened her work as a storyteller and how she now works with grievers, including children, to weave their stories into their grief. And I misspoke slightly. Her um, her TED Talk is actually not on her website, but you can find it by putting in a hush in the room and her name, Reggie Carpenter, and, and it will it will pop up. And it's well worth uh, well worth a listen for sure. I I love the talk, so thank you for it, Reggie. Again, you're welcome. You're welcome. So we were talking. Uh, you had asked me, you know, about how it was for my kids in grief. Um, you know, I would say that the two and a half year old in particular was was very. Um, she had many mystical experiences. Uh-huh. Um, during that period, and I, I can't think of another word for it. She mm-hmm. she um, had a dream where my wife was um, on the top of a ladder, and she was trying to climb up. And my wife said, "No, go back. It, you're not. You, don't follow me now." And mm-hmm. she saw angels on the ceiling, and she, you know, she just had a a lot of very otherworldly types of experiences around that time, mm-hmm. um, as we all did. But I felt that her experiences were so vivid um, that they weren't, they weren't um, thoughts or ideas. They were as if uh, physical reality was, mm-hmm. you know, she actually saw things. And, you know, um, mm-hmm. it was very profound for me to witness that. Mm-hmm. Um, death did not What's scare her at all. What's my daughter's, daughter's that daughter's yeah. name is Amber. Amber, and what's mm-hmm. your oldest daughter's name? Caitlin. Caitlin, yeah, yeah. So she had visions. Visions, definitely. Which many people did, but there's a clarity to a, a young child's vision mm-hmm. that is that has a very different quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm certainly thinking about that time because, uh, in my mind, kids in a way are more open to that if the, the adults around them are willing to talk. And we had a lot of time to get ready to talk. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give the idea that, you know, you can just jump into confronting these things directly. We had eight and a half years to get ready to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think kids are willing if mm-hmm. adults are able. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's a progression, isn't it? It is. It's, it's The grieving begins before, well, in Tim's case, it was because it was a sudden death, I didn't have grieving, you know, over a prolonged period, but the, the grieving begins in a situation like that so much earlier than the physical death. And then there's the actual death that one grieves, and then, and then, just the loss of of the presence of a person. You grieve so many small things, you know, a cup of sure. coffee, 
conversation, the toothbrush, the clothes, you know, so much. But um, so, how about I tell you a little story? Would you that'd like be wonderful. Hear? I was just All about right. to ask. <laughs> oh, good. Well, this story is longer than what I'll tell you, but because of time, um, I'll, I'll truncate it a little bit. Uh, this is uh, the story that I had mentioned earlier, Una Nana and the Elephant. I learned this story um, because my sister has a beautiful daughter named Sendinya. Um, she had been in the Peace Corps and met a man uh, in Sierra Leone and married him and and had a beautiful daughter. And um, at the time I thought, oh gosh, what, what could I give my niece? And of course, a story is the one thing I have to give to anyone, but especially to her. So I went looking for a story that um, would suit her name because everyone calls her Nana. So I found Una Nana and the Elephant. There was once an African mother by the name of Unanana. And she had two beautiful children. They lived in a small hut at a crossroads. Everyone who was walking by Unanana's house would often stop and stare at her children. Why are your children so beautiful, they would say. Their skin, their eyes, their hair, their smile. And Unanana would say, hmm, Well, I think all children are beautiful. But if mine are more beautiful than others, it is Possibly because I sing to them every day. And Unanana would sing the song to the stranger that she sang to her children since the day they were born. Stranger would listen, learn the song, and promise to sing it to his children, so that his children would be as beautiful as Unanana's. One day Unanana noticed they were almost out of firewood, so she told the cousin who lived with them to watch over her children, and she would be back soon. She put the basket on top of her head and went out into the bush to gather wood. And as, as soon as Unanana was gone, the children jumped up and began to play a game that children play all over the world. They ran around and around and around and around and around and around and around, and then they fell down. This is a great game. Everybody wins. When they looked up, they saw coming towards them a white elephant with only one white tusk. The elephant was pushing down trees and trampling the tall grasses. The elephant stood in front of Unanana's children and said, Whose children are these? They are Unanana's children, said the cousin, quite afraid. They are beautiful. I'm taking them. And before the cousin could stop the elephant, the elephant reached out his long trunk, wrapped it around the children, and swallowed them. The cousin was so afraid, she ran into the hut. She was crying as she heard the footsteps of the elephant going further and further into the bush. Unanana came home. 
Children, she cried, children. But no children came to her. She went into the hut. She saw the cousin crying in the corner. The cousin told her of the elephant. She took the basket off the top of her head. She asked the cousin, Did he eat them whole? Tell me, did he eat them whole? I believe so. Oh, she said, we have hope. And then she got out a large pot. She filled it full of water and beans. She cooked the beans until they were soft, and she took them off the fire, and she let them cool. Then she told the little cousin to stay there. She was going to be back soon with the children. Once the beans were cool, she put them on top of her head, and she walked into the bush. She walked, and she walked, and she walked, and she walked. And on her way, she met a baboon. Have you seen an elephant with one white tusk? He has stolen my children. Oh, yes. That elephant is down by the pool, followed this trail. You can't miss him. And then she walked, and she walked, and she walked, and she walked, and she met a deer. Have you seen an elephant with one white tusk? He has taken my children. I'm going to get them back. Oh, yes. Follow this path. He is down by the pool. But be careful. He's a nasty one. She followed the path. She came to some white stones. She saw the pool, and there was the elephant basking in the warm African sun. His one tusk was glinting in the sunlight. She ran up to the elephant. Woman, be quiet. You are much too noisy. You have my children. I want my children back. Give them back to me. Oh, woman, be quiet. I do not like it. Now I do not have your children. Go away and leave me alone. And Una Nana would not stop that horrible sound. And finally the elephant said, Woman! And he reached out his long trunk, wrapped it around her body, and swallowed her. Now this is exactly what she wanted, Cheryl. Once she was inside the elephant's belly, she looked around. And boy, was she surprised by what she saw. She saw a cow, she saw sheep, she saw some goats, she saw some people, she saw a lake. There was a boat on the lake, and there was a hotel. It was the first hotel in Africa. And she looked around, but she did not see her children. I will sing to them. If they are here, if they are still alive... I will sing to them, and they will know it is me. They will come to their mother. And when Anana began to sing the song to the children that she had sung since the day where they were born, Mother, is that you? Her children had been hiding. Onanana bent down. She scooped up her children. There were so many tears of happiness on that day. I can't even tell you how many there were. Onanana took the bean pot off the top of her head. She set it down. She fed her children. She fed everyone else inside of the elephant's belly. And only after they had been fed did Onanana eat something herself. Now, Una Nana had brought with her a secret weapon, a large 
jar of red pepper. You see, some other women, they might want to kill the elephant, but not Unanana. She simply wanted to teach it a lesson. So she unscrewed the top of the jar, and she poured the entire contents of the red pepper jar onto the base of the elephant's tongue. And then she said to everyone inside the elephant, Get ready. And the elephant began to go, (laughs) And everything inside of the elephant came tumbling out of its mouth. The elephant said, Oh, that woman was so disagreeable. I am only going to eat what elephants are supposed to eat from now on. Lesson learned. The people were so appreciative to Unanana that they gave her rice and cloth and they gave her food and they gave her coins. But Unanana, she is not a woman to take without giving. She gave to the people her song so that their children would grow up to be as beautiful as hers. And every week the people gathered and they sing the song that Unanana taught them. story, Reggie. Thank you. (laughs) I'm thinking about all the people that I've interviewed who have lost children, Mm -hmm. and that in some way, um, part of the work is to find them and bring them back, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, regardless of, of course, what is lost and can't can't be retrieved. Yeah. Every every single person that I've ever interviewed in that circumstance has a very active relationship with the child they lost. Yeah. Very lively, very you know, um, uh, very evolving. Mm-hmm. As it is with our children who are in the world. Mm-hmm. So I hear that in the story too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sense of figuring out how to how to find go to the belly of the beast and find what we're looking for. Yeah. There are other stories, um, of course, where there's a a beautiful story, but I I can't cite the original source. But it it's a story of two children who are living in. Um, sort of like a, a neverland and there's never the sun never sets it's always just beautiful and and one day the the boy child lies down and, and never awakens and the girl begins to grieve and cry and cry and the the rivers fill from her tears and the streams and the oceans and the world begins to overflow from the sorrow and the gods look down upon her and feel such pity that they say we have to help her and they they have the sun go down and the moon come up. And the next day, 
she sleeps, and when she awakens, she says, yesterday, my brother died. And then, the day after, my brother died two days ago. Hmm. And, and so, the gods give us time so that we can, we're not living in the perpetual today of today my brother died, today my daughter died, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's time for us to go to a, a break again, but I think that's yeah. that's so, uh, I, I've I've always rejected the idea that, you know, everything is gone uh, mm-hmm. when when we lose someone. It's just never been my experience. It's not how it was or is now for me. Mm-hmm. And having a way to, to carry that in the world, you know, um, to me, story is a way to do that. I, when we come back, I'd like to talk about your family and, and loss and story because it seems kind of embedded in your, in your, your family um, way of doing life. And I'd like to talk more about that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so okay, uh, you know listeners, <laughs> d- during the break, go find both of us. Find me at, at Voice America <laughs> at Good Grief or at weatheringgrief.com. And to find Reggie Carpenter, you can go to regicarpenter.com or you can look for her TED Talk, A Hush in the Room. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm Cheryl Jones, and I'm here with Reggie Carpenter, who's a storyteller, and she's publishing her first book, Where There's Smoke, There's Dinner, Stories of a Seared Childhood, in September of this year, 2016. Um, 
for I want to say just before I go further about the title of your book, I I almost always um, title the episodes when I when I'm interviewing an author after mm-hmm. their book titles because people um, really create the most breathtaking titles, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and yours definitely um, <laughs> conjures so much. Uh, <laughs> You know, just that one sentence. So I appreciate, I'm sure, the thought and care that you put into that because um, I've now read, you know, parts of it because you, you've shared them with me. Oh, yeah. And um, it's, it so captures what you're talking about, which I definitely wanted to get to in this, in this last um, bit of time we have together, that it seems to me that your family... Um, Believes in storytelling in a way mm-hmm. uh, that it that it's not just you having figured out that that would help you, but that you you kind of were in the in the sauce of storytelling from early on. Would that be fair to say? Well, there's all kinds of storytelling, um, and my father was um, my father was quite a character, and. Uh, my father, I, re- I refer to my father as the whole ball of wax. And um, he told us a lot of dirty jokes. <laughs> when little. you were little? <laughs> oh, yeah. Really inappropriate dirty jokes, which I never knew were inappropriate until I got older and repeated them, uh, went to school and repeated them. Uh, so, it's, um, But I come from, I, I just, I have had the most magnificent family. I have had a magnificent family, and we certainly were not the Cleavers, let me tell you that. But um, when I look back now, I just feel that I was born into the best family ever. And um, we had a lot of hard times. And yet the one thing that my parents modeled um, was a sense of unconditional love. And they had that for one another, it wasn't perfect by any means, um, but when it all came down to it, my parents were all about, you know, you you stick by the people you love and you love them. In fact, I think my, my book is really about is really loving and loving and loving when you don't know how to love, you know, that you yes. just keep loving, which I think is so true. Even when you're grieving, it's like, my child isn't here, but I love and I love and I love and I love and I love. We never stop loving. So, also that connects sorry. in in my mind with what you were saying about not knowing what to do, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just going ahead and trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, it sounds as if that's really embedded in you that that idea of well, I don't know what to do, but I'll just try it. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my father in particular was like that, very mm-hmm. much like that. So I, I want to tell you a little excerpt of the, the story, I Love You, Will You Bury Me? So um, I come from a very small town in northern New York. Uh, it's as far north as you can go in, in, in New York State. It's just a couple of miles from Canada. Um, I come from a, a small town that's situated right where the St. Lawrence River and Lake Ontario open their mouths and give each other a big wet kiss. 
the name of my town is Clayton. Now, carpenters have been uh, living in Clayton ever since the 1600s. Hmm. And uh, we're a very small town, but we've got a big cemetery. Tall spires and stone angels silently testify the names I've heard my entire life. Ferguson, Wingrath, Bogan Schultz, Lalone, Sullivan, Riddler, Carpenter. All you have to do is wander around the grounds in the Clayton Cemetery and read the headstones, and you'll understand these generations of families and their interconnectedness. It's almost as if each generation is like a wave on the St. Lawrence River. The oldest generation crests and crashes, and the next generation rolls forward to take their place. This is the natural order of things, and we all expect it to happen. And we carpenters expected it to happen, too. It's just we never expected it to happen the way that it would, Cheryl. Mm -hmm. It took my Aunt Marguerite several hours to realize my Uncle Edward wasn't dozing. He was dead. Well, that man never did talk much, she said in her own defense. Now, my Uncle Rip died of a heart attack. When warned by his doctor to give up those fatty meat soppings, he declared, Doctor, I'd rather die. So he did. Now, my Aunt Dot died like we all hoped to, of old age and asleep in her own bed. But when my Uncle Joe died, his death marked the passing of my father's entire carpenter generation. Eddard, Dot, Bernie, Rip, Joe, and my father... Carl Carpenter, were all born and raised on a small farm in northern New York. They all uh, went to St. Mary's Catholic School and graduated. They all saw the beginning and the ending of World War II. And each and every one of them, Eddard, Dot, Bernie, Rip, Joe, and my dad, Carl Carpenter, said, Till death do us part. Just once. And that begins the story of the deaths and funerals of my father's siblings and their, and their spouses. My, um, my own parents' death, uh, my parents died in the same nursing home six months apart, and um, my parents were married 63 years, and uh, my parents um, were very plain people, and they just wanted to be cremated and put in a brown box, you know, Yes. and uh, so I'd ask my siblings if they minded if, um, if I put them, uh, mingled some of their ashes together and took them down to the river and had a water burial and they didn't so after we had the the funeral at the cemetery then I I went down to the river and I <laughs> I stepped into the water and you know in my mind it was going to be so romantic um, you know the, the, the waves that were going to carry them out to the ocean you know and there was going to be a string orchestra playing and uh, 
and I stepped into the water, I said the Lord's Prayer, and then I sprinkled their ashes on the top, and the ashes sunk like stones and clung to my calves like some bizarre (laughs) spa treatment, you know, and oh my gosh, I was just horrified. I was wearing my parents. I didn't know what to do. I was just like, ack, ack, and and then just then, this pair of mallard ducks swam towards me, a male and a female, and they were like, quack, 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 quack. They swam all around my legs. Their webbed feet were churning up the water. The ashes lifted, and they were carried out to the ocean. And then as the ducks were swimming away from me, they looked over their feathered shoulders and went, quack, 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 quack. (laughs) (laughs) And I I just knew. You know, my parents were a couple of kidders. <laughs> they got you good that time. I have a sort of similar story. Uh, my mom, when my dad died, she hired a boat to to go uh-huh. scatter his ashes um, under the Golden Gate Bridge. I live in the San yes. Francisco Bay Area. Very yes. picturesque. She rented the whole boat. She didn't want to share the boat with strangers, you know. <laughs> So well, I had made these special little containers so that everyone would have their own little bit of ashes, right? And I gave yeah. them out and people just didn't, they hardly wanted to touch their containers, right? And they were like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so that, this was after my wife died. So I was, you know, I was good to go. But everyone else was pretty horrified. And he had died uh-huh. suddenly. So no one had, you know, <laughs> any time uh-huh. to prepare so then we go out to do the ashes, and I'm thinking, you know, each person will pick up a handful and throw them over. Oh. Nobody, not one person, <laughs> would do it. And they all said, no, you do it. Oh, no. <laughs> Which and was just fine then, with a me, gust of wind. But, but it was so not the picture I'd created in my own mind. Uh, it, was, right. it, was really, um, it was really amusing. You know, mm-hmm. that I had kind of made up this very romantic um, uh, picture of what it might be to do this with my family, right? Yeah. And right, parts right. of it were true. We all got on the boat. We talked about my dad. Their minister was there, and he was lovely, and et cetera, et cetera. But when it came to actually doing the do, mm-hmm. they, they all went, oh, no. <laughs> so what happened? I did it myself. Oh, no. Yeah, I threw my whole dad overboard. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else wanted to have a thing to do with touching those things. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, you know, funerals can be really, really funny. And, I, I and um, well, yeah, I but we're like, oh, I shouldn't laugh at that. that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it was a little funny to me at the moment. Yeah, I was I was laughing inside myself about it, but it's uh-huh. funnier now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funnier now. Yeah, at the moment it, it wasn't so it wasn't so funny, except for the ducks. I was like, oh, you too, you too. You got the last word as usual. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And they deserved it. They totally deserved it. Mm. Yeah, and and I I had a feeling about my dad. I mean. My mom was not wrong. That that would be his perfect place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking at the water and just just you know, kind of rolling along on the on the little tide mm-hmm. that's in the bay there. Mm-hmm. So 
Mm-hmm. It was it was good with him. Whoever threw him over there, he was that would be a good spot for him. Yeah, but you know, it really speaks to the the need for ritual, doesn't it? I mean, the need yes. for ritual as a way to help us close, bring closure. It's really easy to to think to stay in our minds, but you know, there is a physical body that we lose, and and the ritual around around paying respect to a physical body, to matter, you know, that matters. That's such uh, a beautiful place to end our day, and I hope people will go and listen to more of your stories, because um, to me, this whole show that I do is really in one way of talking about it is that it's about story and the way in which stories heal us. Mm-hmm. And the way in which just sharing that story with you heals me. Mm-hmm. Telling telling what happened on that boat, I'm I'm now feeling very happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and I hope mm-hmm. that you are too. <laughs> telling am. about the I ducks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Cheryl. Oh, it's I'm, been a pleasure. I'm, I hope we stay in touch. Thank you for everything. And let me just remind listeners that your book, which is coming out in September 26, is Where There's Smoke, There's Dinner, Stories of a Seared Childhood. Thank you to Reggie Carpenter for being here. You can also go to ReggieCarpenter.com. Next week, my guest will be Barbara Musser. After facing a breast cancer diagnosis, she became a breast cancer sex educator and wrote the book Sexy After Cancer. That'll be, that'll be, uh, she's great fun. I, I've had some, some time with her already, and I know it's going to be really wonderful. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.